for those of you that have had the prayer letter, you will know that this has been an extremely difficult year. For those who, who haven't, there are prayer letters at the back if you'd like to come and get one afterwards. This year, a certain person decided he was going to destroy the ministry by the end of the year. He made it perfectly clear to everybody that the ministry would not be standing, the school would be closed, the Hope Center would be closed, and watch what happens to the staff. What I want to share with you is what God has shared with me over this time. Before I actually go to the Word, I want to just mention three specific things this year that has been so important. Because of what has been going on, we have actually lost some of the land, which actually doesn't hurt me, but it hurts the people because it's land that we give to people to grow their crops on. And as this was taken from us, I heard God say, don't look at what you've lost, but at what I'm going to give you. And that's what we're looking for now. We believe that God is going to give us something that we haven't yet even thought of. The other thing we had right from the beginning from several people, no weapon formed against you will prosper. You will refute every tongue that rises against you. This is the heritage of the sons of the, the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me. And then the third thing, maybe the most important thing of all, I was praying for the person who wanted to destroy us. And I had this just overwhelming love just come up over me like a blanket. And that did two things. One, it made it impossible for me to do anything else but to love this man. But the other thing was to realize that there was absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing that I could do that would stop God loving me. And there is absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing that you can do that will stop God loving you. And I was able to say to this man just those words. There is nothing that you can do that will stop me loving you. Brian is saying some of you may not realize I live in Uganda. <laughs> so I'm just saying I live in Uganda. Is that okay now? I will do when I, yeah. I was able to say to this man, there is nothing that you can do that will stop me loving you. Somewhere along the line, we're looking for his repentance. We're looking for him to come back to the Lord, not back to us. But he's in a very dangerous position at the moment because he's trying to destroy the work of God. During this time, and it has literally been gone on since November last year, and it's not completely over yet, um, God gave me a word from John chapter 11 which I shared with the church and was a blessing there. Um, that's the church in Uganda. And while I was sharing, I just knew that God was saying, everywhere you go in England, you give this message, which is why I'm sharing this morning. 
It's so well known, and yet it is so real to me at this time. And so I'm going to read some verses from John chapter 11. Now a man named Nazareth was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disreplied his help when they were in trouble. When Lazarus was sick, and what would you expect of someone who loves you? What they expected, that Jesus would drop everything and run to them and heal Lazarus. But Jesus says to his disciples, this is not to death. This is for God's glory, and it's so the people might see who I am. And so he didn't go. So Mary and Martha are there thinking, why hasn't he come? And aren't the times in our lives when we think, Lord, where are you? I said, I've prayed, I've sent for you, but you don't seem to have come. And that was certainly true for me some of the times during the year. But then Jesus says something. He has said to the disciples, this is not unto death. And then a few verses later, he says, Lazarus is dead. Now let's put, we know the end of the story, but they didn't. Was this the first time Jesus had ever lied to them? There must have been confusion in their minds. Jesus said, this is not unto death. He didn't say he wouldn't die, but that's how they perceived it. And so would we. And so often we can receive a promise from God and then it seems to die. And the disciples now had to go on a journey. Um, And just imagine, it's quite a long journey. What was going on in their minds? What were they talking about as they were on their journey? One, the fact that they were all in danger because they were going back to where Jesus was threatened to be stoned. And Thomas said, let's go and die with him. So they're on the journey, and they're thinking about death. They are not thinking about resurrection. And as they go, they're thinking, what did Jesus mean? Jesus said Lazarus wouldn't die, and he's dead. Mary and Martha sent for him, and he hasn't come. So here we've got people who really love Jesus, people who are close to Jesus, but he doesn't seem to be doing what they want him to do. And so they are confused, and they are questioning. And just like us, they're on the journey, and they're talking, talking, talking. 
until they arrive at Bethany. And as they get there, Martha comes out to meet Jesus. Oh, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And I believe there are often times in our lives where we say, if only you had done this, it would have been better. But the point is, Jesus always has something bigger. He is always working things out when we don't understand. He's always got in mind exactly what he's going to do when we're utterly confused. And this is where Martha was. If only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And she did the good religious thing. Yes, I know he'll rise at the last day. And so often we interpret what Jesus says to us with our natural understanding. Jesus was saying something far greater, but Martha couldn't grasp it. She was in sorrow. She was in distress. And at that time, she couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying. So she says, oh, I know. I know he's going to rise again. And the fact of the matter was that Jesus had left this for so long because in the Jewish thinking, the body in the grave, the spirit was still around for three days with a possibility of that spirit going back into the body. And he had been in the tomb four days, which meant he'd been dead five days. So let's face it now, there is no other answer. He's dead, he's buried, he's gone. And so when Jesus says to Martha, he will rise again, all she can think of is the last day. And we can so often put things in the future. You know, God says something, and we think it's for heaven. When God is saying something because it's for now, and it's something he wants to do now. And we interpret it with our natural understanding and not in the spirit. And then Mary comes. And Mary says to him exactly the same thing. Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus just grows close to her, really. And Jesus begins to weep. Now, this is an amazing thing. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet Mary was distressed, Martha was distressed, and Jesus began to weep. And you know, even though Jesus has got a bigger plan than we can see, and he knows exactly what he's going to do in each one of our lives, when we are on the journey, when there is a process, and that process is painful, Jesus is not back there saying, oh, well, I know what's going to happen. He's right in there with us at the time, and he is weeping with us. When we weep, he weeps even though he knows exactly what he's doing. And I found that such a comfort because I, I have not known what God is doing this year. But I know that he's with me. And I know that he laughs with me. And I know that he cries with me. And I know that he has got a plan that I can't see yet. And then they go to the tomb. They go to the place of death. They go to the place where there is no answer whatsoever. It is far too late. 
And Jesus is too late. <laughs> That's what they thought. And then Lazarus says, um, Jesus says, take away the stone. Lord, <clears throat> he stinks. That was their understanding of the situation. For all that Jesus had said, Martha had not understood. Mary had not understood. Those standing around had not understood. And coming from Uganda, when somebody dies, the whole village turns out. And it would have been the same here because we're told that people had come even from Jerusalem and there would have been this enormous crowd. And we read that they were saying, surely he could have raised this. He he could have stopped this man dying. They weren't thinking of resurrection. They were all thinking, now it's too late. And Jesus says, take away the stone. And people can look at us, and they could have looked at us over the year, and they could have thought, there's no answer here. It's over. It's finished. It's dead. But Jesus says, take away the stone. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb. The impossible happened, and Jesus knew exactly from the beginning when he stayed two days and didn't come. He knew that this was going to be for God's glory, and it was going to be a revelation of himself. And they knew Jesus as healer. They knew Jesus as teacher. They knew Jesus as friend. They knew that Jesus had eased and raised the dead. But remember, that was someone who had immediately died, not someone who had started to decay. And suddenly they saw Jesus and they saw the glory of God and they saw the power of God. And Mary and Martha, who had been questioning, why didn't he come, finally saw. The disciples will have remembered Jesus said, it's not unto death. We thought he said he wasn't going to die. He's alive. And they saw a revelation of who Jesus is. And the crowd around had a revelation. And the Bible tells us that many people, because of this, put their faith in the Lord. And you know, when we go through tough times, people are watching us. People are looking. And they're looking to see that our God will answer. And I believe in Kasambira something is going to happen in the near future. My near future may not be near future, but, you know, God has got it all in mind. And he, has, he is planning something. And in my heart now is to go out into the villages and to preach the gospel. And I'll share a bit more of that as I, as I show the slides. Um, and just say what I believe God is planning or for me, whether it's for the whole ministry, what God is actually going to do. I don't have any clear light yet, although when I first came back, Ruth said to me that God is going to show you a light and a path that is unmistakable. It's as clear as can be, and you will walk forward. And so I'm just waiting for that revelation. Thank you. If we can have the slides now, please. while they're finding the slides. I say this has been the most difficult year I've ever had, but I believe it's the year that's changed me more than any other. Because I guess I know or trust the Lord more 
than before. Over this year, many things have happened like happened this weekend when I began to get asthma, I had difficulty breathing, a lot of other things physically over the year. And I would go to, I was probably preaching, and I'd go to church, and I could hardly stand. And the minute I stood up, God did it. And I've learned that God is not dependent on how we feel. He's not dependent on our physical ability. God, the Holy Spirit, is able to use anything, anytime. So first of all, I need to say thank you for my holiday. Last year when I left here, um, you sent me off to Hong Kong. And I had a wonderful time. And I'm most supposed to be using this. Which way does it go? No. 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 (laughs) I think you're going to have to move it from there. Anyway, I had a wonderful time with Margaret. (laughs) Um, Also need to say thank you to everyone who has prayed over this year everyone who has given, and especially thank you to Peter and Joan. None of you have any idea how much they give in time, finance, every way. They give to the ministry, they give to God, and they give to me, and they are a tremendous blessing. Thank you, Peter and Joan. Ah, success. Then I went back, and in November we went back into the store. Um, But we have this year become a a CBO, community-based organization, which is recognized by the NGO board. We have tried to join and become an NGO many times, and it has never felt quite right. And now I realize why, because as a community-based organization, we don't have to pay anything to the government. So we've got the same recognition, but we have nothing to pay. If you look at the village today, it looks as if the village is, in, is getting better. You'll find many houses going up by, like this. But unfortunately, it is because people are poor. They're selling their land so that they've got food today. But then, of course, they've got nothing for tomorrow because they've sold their land. And then the, there might be, yes. Um, other people try and build. The people in the village try and build. <coughs> And they can start off, they can lay the foundation, they can make the bricks and build the walls, and there it stands. And this building has been there now for eight years, and it has got absolutely no further. And it's just decaying away. Whereas other people are selling their land because there is a sugar plant close by, and they're selling their land so that people can grow sugar cane, or they themselves are growing sugar cane. So they're not growing what they need to eat. And so the food prices just go up and up. And one of the areas is in cooking. When I had the boys, we always cooked with charcoal. And I used to buy charcoal for 3,500 shillings a bag. When I came away, it was 30,000. So people are not using charcoal. They're having to go and find wood, which adds a lot of time to their day. They're not allowed to cut down trees. So they've got to find wood somehow in order to cook. 
We don't have any help for those who are in need. No help in any direction whatsoever. Edissa is hemiplegic. That means she's only got one half of her body working. Um, She's got three children, one in senior, two in our school. And we feed her, we school her children. But then for the little extras, she makes mats. And I've no idea how she manages to make them with one hand. But you see, when you have to, it's amazing what people can do. Um, Here's the washing machine. Life in Uganda is not easy for a woman who's in the village. It takes her all day just to provide for her family. Because they've got to get the water from the well. They've got to do the washing. They've got to collect the firewood. Then they've got to cook on three stones. And what they mostly cook is beans, which takes four hours to cook. And it takes all day. And then they've got to go to their garden and provide their food as well. So a woman's life in Uganda is not easy. So as I've already said, Kingdom Life has been under attack. That is the Hope Center, the school. Each one of us have been personally threatened with death. Um, when the headmaster was told he was going to be poisoned, he said, well, if it's my time to go, fine. If not, you can't touch me. And he's a young man. He's only 24. This is the group of people that have kept everything together this year. Um, This is the the working board. There's a much bigger board than this, but this is the, the working board. And on there, we've got somebody that you won't know, the man here. He's Robert Kalulu. He runs an organization something like ours. He has a school. He has a vocational training. He looks after orphans. Um, And we've been friends for years, but as soon as the trouble started, um, I asked him to come on the board and to give us advice. And he has been tremendous help to us this year. Sat next to him is our new pastor. Further, the next one round is Hosea, the headmaster, who couldn't be poisoned and then the next one round is Jackson who most of you have met and then James who I will say about in a minute wrong way no where are we going this way Um, and that is the faithful staff that's not the school staff but the staff that look after all the generals part of the ministry there's our Jackson Jack has been wonderful this year. If ever I wondered whether Jack could take over, he can. This year, there are times when we've had solicitor's letters and all sorts of things that he hasn't even shown me because he didn't want to worry me. He's just dealt with them. And so Jackson is now ready, you know, to, to lead the ministry. He doesn't think he is. He says, yeah, I can't. You've got to stay. You've got to stay. He's also married now. He has a wife and a child. Um, This is James, who was the fourth one on the table. He was one of my boys. He was the witch doctor's son who was kicked out when he came to know the Lord. Um, And we had him through senior school up to A-level. Then he went to college, graduated, and he's now come back as our administrator. And he, together with Jack, are the two that have dealt with so much this year. And he's such a young man, and yet he has such wisdom. And that's Akalulu. 
But in the midst of everything, instead of the ministry getting smaller, it has grown. And we have been able to fulfill every single commitment we made to anybody at the beginning of the year. We haven't drawn back on anything. In fact, we have increased. I hope nobody ever asks me to put this on paper properly because it will not compute. Because we spend money and there's still money there. And I don't know how it happens. But we continue to feed the poor. Often it's the children that come and get it. We give out food every month to about 25 to 30 families. Um, but we're, no, it's over 30 because we're adding now. We, we've added Tabita because she has arthritis. She's been on our land and now we have to give her food. Julietti speaks for herself. She is very sick. So we've had to put her on the food program. And that actually is the most expensive thing is putting someone on the food pro- program. Put them into school. It is small compared to feeding. Tafas has cancer. Uh, She still cares for six grandchildren who are orphans. But again, we don't know how much longer she'll be able to do it. And Beatrice, who I show you every year, is still with us, still praising God, with no T-cells, no right to be alive, except that she lives by faith. She's a tremendous blessing to us at church. Um, Prossy also has AIDS, and she's now getting weaker. So we've had to put her on the food program along with all the others that we've had for many years, like Grace and Millie. Um, And we're getting more and more orphans, obviously, into the village. So Senga, which actually means auntie, she's the village auntie. She looks after anybody who needs help. Uh, These three actually live with her, but then she's got many others that look to her for support and help. The biggest girl there is Deborah. Now, Deborah was a very naughty girl. Deborah, we had in government school years ago, and uh, she was quite a problem. Until she came with her doctored report when she was in primary five, and alongside 99 was weak because she put a nine in front. Um, So she wasn't clever enough to doctor the report properly, and it was very obvious. But she wasn't actually attending school a lot of the time, so we stopped sponsoring her and then she came to church she gave her heart to the Lord she was baptized she's now one of our worship leaders and I gave her a job to begin with because she you know she was an older girl um, and she just helped in the school with teachers children Um, and then I said Deborah would you like to go back to school and she just burst into tears I said Deborah you're 13 you'll be with eight-year-olds because you'll need to go back to our primary three. And she's been top of the class. She's in P5 now. She'll be in P6 next year. But this year, the only person who cared for her was her aunt, who died. And the relatives came and threw out the house and she, with nothing. She had absolutely nothing, only what she was stood up in, not even a mat to sleep on. So these are the t- types of people that we are there for. And... We found Deborah a room to stay. Um, I'm not now, I had the boys living with me for years, but I know that's not what I can do now. And I couldn't actually take Deborah in, apart from which I was going away fairly soon. And I will be away, I'll be home a lot of next year. 
Um, and so she's gone into a room very close to Senga to keep an eye on her. And we feed her and do everything. And when we had a Norwegian couple over um, a little while ago, they took on Deborah's support. So every time we have a need that we can't meet, somehow it gets met. And there's Ligony. Um, I don't know how many of you remember Ligony. He didn't look like that when you first saw him. He looked like he was two months old when he was two years. And we all thought that he would die. Well, here is another resurrection. <laughs> Ligony is now full of life. He's in nursery and he's doing average. I mean, he's not brainy, but we really didn't think he would be able to do anything. And so this is tremendous. Kingdom Life School is now fully registered for education and sports. So we were in the sports this year, and the girls came second, and the boys came fourth. So a lot of competition. (laughs) That is actually the nursery school. Um, That is primary, primary one to primary five. Um, This is the headmaster at work, but I'm afraid it isn't his work, because I see in the background there is maths. And I must have just said to him, let me have a picture, Hosea. And he went to the board. He doesn't touch maths. (laughs) He'll teach anything but maths. Perhaps that's why he's laughing. Um, But these were actually classes. This is primary five, four, three, two. Um, And we've changed the uniform this year. I think it looks much smarter. But the reason is because it's much stronger material. And we were finding that You know, the way they treat clothes out there, one term, and it was in pieces. So this has got to last a year. Porridge time is for everybody in the school, and then lunch time for those from P3 upwards, because they stay until 5. The others go home at 1. And this is classroom 6 and 7, which we're hoping will be finished for us to start P6 at the beginning in January. The outside is finished. There isn't that much to do inside, so I'm sure that it will be finished. And there's the new sports field, which has made everybody happy. And it's outside the perimeter fence, so it means that the village can use it any time when we're not in school. Time to go home. Well, last year, we got Christmas boxes in April. This year, bless the Samaritans, Samaritan's Purse, we got Christmas boxes in June. But the children really don't mind whether they come. (laughs) But because it's Samaritan's Purse, we have to preach the gospel before we give them out. Last year we gave them out in the church, that was easy. This year we decided to give them out in the school. Well, one third of the school are Muslim children. So they had to hear the gospel in order to get a box. Hallelujah. And that's Jack preaching the gospel to the kids. And then they had their boxes. Great joy. The Hope Centre continues. We still have the tailoring school with a new machine so that we can take them on to the next level. Um, I'll run through quickly because the time's going. And we now have the computer room. And in there we've got six computers. It got on hold because of what was happening, but I believe Jack started almost as soon as I came home at the beginning of the term. They hadn't quite gone back to um, to school, but he was hoping to start as the school went back. My boys are getting fewer and fewer. Hallelujah. 
There's my number one son. That is Seth, who you wouldn't have seen for years and years and years because he left me many years ago. Um, he's now married with a child. He brought me my grandchild. Um, and he now has a saloon, as he calls it, but it's a salon. He, he does hairdressing. They all call it a saloon. So he's got a saloon. And his wife is learning to do the plaiting and the braiding so that they'll be able to work together. Abila was my baby. He will be um, qualifying in December in welding and sheet metal work, so we'll be sending him off for a job. And Moses, likewise, he's been training for two years as a car mechanic. Um, He's always already driving my car around, and so he will also qualify in December. And then the only one I have left of all my boys is James. Um, James isn't the youngest, but he's going into senior six next year to do his A-levels. He's obviously started them this year. He finishes them next year. He is very, very bright. And when I think, you know, I took this boy off the street along with all the others, what would have happened to him had he been on the street? Um, But he had a praying mother. His mother was saved. She actually died this year. And I got a text from him saying, you're my only mum now. Um, but we believe he will get to university. We believe he'll get a scholarship. So that, but we still need to raise quite a lot of money for him to become a doctor because, of course, it's many years yet. And Alex, who was also one of my boys he, from the street, he went to O-level. He came back and he worked with us for about 15 months. And then he started talking about going back to Basia because he now wanted to do what I did. So he's gone back with his wife and his two children, and he is beginning to work with children from the street. I know he's got three at the moment that he is helping. And there may be more by now, but that's what I knew. Um, Pastor Christopher is well able to take the church. He still calls me senior pastor, but gradually that's dropping because I've heard once or twice lately he's referred to me as mum. So I'm hoping that that will get dropped altogether. Um, And that's his wife and little Joshua. Um, They are both very musical. She leads worship and trains others in worship. He is a very good speaker, and he's full of... He's very quiet, very shy, until the power of the Spirit takes hold of him. Wow. We had a crusade in Casambira. Um, and this, as I'm saying, is where my heart lies now. This was in Casambira itself, and we borrowed a generator. The only thing that's stopping us going out into the villages is a generator. Um, and as soon as we have that, we will start going out into the villages. And the ones we'll be taking will be the youth and the children, for the most part. <clears throat> this is now a Sunday morning service. The church now doesn't have enough seats. Hallelujah. We have to move the children onto mats because we have between 60 and 70 adults and the greatest joy on that is the fact that now one third are male. And that is what we've prayed for because there aren't many men in the village. And we were almost a female church apart from the the staff. Um, But now we're getting the men in, young and older people as well. (coughs) 
but the greatest number is children. On a Sunday morning, we have between 120 and 150 children. And they go into their groups. That's the oldest group. And they learn and they pray. Um, And we had a camp again this year, a resident camp, where David, my friend, came. And we had a great time together. And we were expecting David and Hosea to work together. Now, this, I believe, is where the church is going to take off. It is going to be with the children. Because Emma is only 13. He's not very academic. He struggles in school. And last year, he said, I want to interpret. And he interpreted a little. This year, he interpreted whole messages for David. And that has to be a gift from God because it's not natural. Now, that has started inspiring others. So now we have Michael, who is a year younger, who this year said, I want to interpret. (laughs) And so he's just begun. The children lead praise and worship, um, and also in church as well as in the children's meetings. And then the one holding the mic up like this, that is Julius. And Julius came to me and he said, why aren't I on the prayer team? So I said, well, why should you be on the prayer team, Julius? He said, because I'm a little pastor. (laughs) So I said, what do you mean? He said, well, God's called me to be a pastor. He's only 13. He said, and I'm still little, so I'm a little pastor. (laughs) So we get, oh, and I've got a message. Fine. So the next day, we gave him opportunity to preach, thinking that he'd just say a couple of words. He comes up the front, he brings his friend to read the word, and then he preaches for 15 minutes. Then David takes them out into the village, and then he's preaching the gospel at 13. So he is a little pastor. Yes. Um, And since that, um, I did the class after David had gone, and I had the older group Um, And I was saying to them, you know, God is using some of you. I'm sure there are others of you. And um, Matendi put his hand up. And he said, I'm called to be a pastor too. He's only 11. He said, so I said, does that mean you'd like to preach as well? Yes. So I wasn't at the next meeting because Hosea was taking the next one. So I said, okay, Matendi, you prepare a message for next week. So he came and I asked Hosea how he got on. And he said, well, he stood up, he read the Bible from Matthew, and then he preached on, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, and he preached for 15 minutes. So God is doing something with our kids. And these are the ones we're going to take out and stand on the platform in the villages. We had five, six boys baptized this year. Last year we had a lot of girls. This year it was all boys seems to be men's time. And then there were four, five adults as well. Um, this couple is the couple from Norway. They came with David um, just because they were interested in what we were doing. David had been talking. And Rosa, that's Rosa and Janotto, Rosa had had a burden for Uganda for some time. So they didn't come out to work with the children. They came out to work with the adults, and they did adult seminars and they did youth seminars. Rosa did most of this. Um, 
Ianotto preached on the Sundays. And the children just loved, the youth just loved them. Um, and I'm going over there next summer. And I believe that they are coming back to Uganda when I go out later in the year. I'll be coming home early um, for a break. I was supposed to do that this year and it didn't happen. So whatever happens now, I'm coming home. But they are probably coming out. They are retiring this summer. And I just wonder what God has in this direction. So what next? To complete classroom six and seven and to begin primary six. Now that obviously is for this year. Um, And then to register the Hope Center training. Hope, register Hope Vocational Training Center. Um, And to begin to see it expand because we have such a large area that at the moment is not being used. And we need to renovate it and we need to see what God wants us to do with it. To take the gospel out to the surrounding villages and see churches established. And then to listen to God and to know what else he has in mind for Kingdom Life Church and ministry. Because we know there's something and then we don't, haven't got a full picture yet. And now the question everybody asks me. And this is to preempt tomorrow night as well. Um, what happens when I leave? Simple. The board takes over. And Robert Kalulu will be chairman of the board. And he will be the oversight of the ministry in Kasambira from a practical point of view. But what I want to ask is that you pray for God to send us a couple. Now, this is what we were praying for. And I don't know if it's the Norwegian couple or whether it's not. Pray for God to send us a couple with a vision for the work who have spiritual ability to parent all our fine young men. You see, all those taking over are young men. And they need, they need parents. That's why they need me. They don't need me now for anything else other than to, for encouragement, for spiritual whatever, and just someone to go and talk to. Um, so that is what is needed. And I'd ask you to pray that God will send one couple, maybe more, who um, maybe do it in turns, that they've always got someone there that they can turn to. And the third thing, to pray for God to raise up this couple or another person to live in the village and become the storyteller. You see, one day I won't be telling the story. And so we need storytellers (coughs) that can come and share what's happening and to catch people's hearts so that they are willing in their hearts to respond and to begin to help us. Um, If any of you can help, please come and see me afterwards. To sponsor a child in our school at the beginning is £60 a year. To sponsor someone for food is £180 a year. That is the difference. As they go up the school, it increases because then we begin to feed them lunchtime. Um, So P6 next year would be £105 a year to educate the children. Um, And if any of you feel that God's putting it on your heart, I would be grateful to see you afterwards. But again, thank you to so many of you that already support me.